Paul writes, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So far the reading. Thanks, Jim. As Jim said, we're um, working on and off through Ephesians. And uh, I've been challenging you to read Ephesians, and um, I hope some of you have been able to do that and, and read it again, if it's encouraging you. Um, and last, two weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians and we looked at a little bit of uh, history, a bit of a background of the believers in, in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. What was the city like? What was the environment they were in? What was happening around there? <clears throat> and how... The job to, for them to grow the gospel and to, to grow the kingdom of God and the work of a church, the church that Paul had planted there, was, was quite difficult. It wasn't an easy place to do that. And Paul, full of love for the church, he's, you know, we discovered a couple of weeks ago, he starts off with this wonderfully descriptive speech reminding them of how richly blessed they are. And we discovered, as we are. And he also reminded them that they're very much a part of God's amazing plan to unite his children with him. That they were a step in the plan, as we are, that, that, that his church is gathered as a part of God's plan through the ages in order to unite all people under him. And that that's a huge blessing. And we saw that the key verse was verse 3, wasn't it? Verse 3 of chapter 1 where it says, "...we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing." And Paul begins with that because he's kind of gushing and he wants, he wants them to know that there's nothing locked out. There's not, you're not locked out of any blessing, that you have every spiritual blessing. You want for nothing and none. So we know from that section that Paul knows all these things. He's very clear. He knows these things and he's telling them. But the question is, do they know these things? Do we know them? Do we know of, did they know of those things, like Paul's explained, or did they actually really know them? And the same is true for us. Do, do we know of those things, that we have those blessings, that we're adopted as sons, and that, that we have this rich inheritance? Do we just know of them, do we know that they're there, or do we really know them? It's a bit like when you, when you get this, this newfangled gift, and I can imagine the first person that ever got a computer... You know, someone might have said to him, here's an amazing thing. It can do amazing stuff. It can do all sorts of things that you always desired. You know, and you're looking at it, you've never ever seen a computer before. 
So you have to unpack it. You really need to really understand how good it really is, its potential. The person made it, the person who designed it, has to open your eyes and show you, reveal to you how it works. You know, I'm always reminded of, I don't know, I'm, this is going to show my age, but how many of you remember Maxwell Smart, you know, Get Smart? I used to love that show as a kid. You know, and every time he was going to go out on a mission, he went down to see Parker. Do you remember Parker? He was the guy down in the basement, the gadget man. And he would come up with his... And he would say, well, how does it work? You know, he had to figure out how it works to save him. It wouldn't have been any good for Maxwell to head out with that thing, knowing it was going to save him if he didn't know, if he just knew about it and he didn't know it. And so Parker would explain. Invariably, Parker would get a bullet or get a spike in his eye or somehow Maxwell would set it off and it wouldn't work properly. That's not the Bible. That's not uh, how that works. Things and these wonderful gifts. But do we know the potential? So Paul begins this section of, of chapter 1 for this reason. You know, and, and because of, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith, I've just said all this sort of stuff, and for this reason, I'm going to pray that God would help you to really wisdom and revelation. So that you would know, not just know of, that you would know these blessings. You know, in a biblical sense, know is, is an intimate experience of. That they would know how to actually live in these blessings and own them for themselves. And they can't do this in their own power. They're going to need godly wisdom and revelation. And that's why Paul's praying for that. Remember last week, Bill spoke to us and he used this scripture as well as part of his sermon. He spoke to us about wisdom, that having that spirit of wisdom comes from God. That's what Paul's praying that they would have. And it's only through Christ that, that we can receive the spirit of wisdom to live well, is what Bill said. And this is what the Lord would give you, that God would give you the spirit of wisdom, because it's only through his wisdom that you will learn how to know these things and be the church that you're called to be. And it's only through and because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he can pray that. And that we can receive that spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now it's really helpful to remember that Paul is writing by inspiration. This isn't just Paul's desire. The things mentioned weren't just Paul's desire for the people or Paul's desire for us maybe. But it's actually God's desire. We always need to remember that, these, that Paul and other writers of the Bible they wrote under inspiration. So it's actually the word of God to us, not just the word of Paul to the Ephesians. And that these prayers are just as applicable to us as they were to the original, original recipients of the letter. So let's see what he wants them to know, not just to know of, in this little section. Right off the bat, and probably most importantly, he prays that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would cause them to know God. And I think this is really key. He starts with that one, that you really might know God. He's not praying for wisdom and revelation so they can know stuff, things, how things happen, you know, how things work. It's clearly focused his prayer. He starts off by saying, I pray that you will know. And like I said before, it's not just know about him. Many people in Ephesus probably did know about God. There had been a ministry for up to 10 years by the time this letter was written. And many had known about God. Many had ridiculed God. Many had come and gone again. Many knew about this God, this Jesus. 
But he's saying, I pray that you would really know him. Well, it's an intimate word, isn't it? God is said to know his people. Husbands know their wives. And then children are conceived as a result of that. Jesus makes himself known to his disciples. To know God is to have an intimate connection, an intimate relationship. Says that as a Christian, there is nothing or no one more important to know. And he said this, and we have a quote here. He said this, the highest science, so these are the normal pursuits of people, of man, aren't they? The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls his father. So basically Spurgeon is saying, you know, the greatest thing that you can, the greatest desire that you can ever have in terms of knowledge is to know God. And that's why Paul starts with this. I pray, first of all, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would come so that you would, as opposed to know of them, you have an experience of them. You know, I know of a lot of famous people, but I don't, have, I don't know them. I don't have an experience of them. And the level of intimacy in that experience depends on your emotional attachment, you know, when you find that wonderful woman or man of your life, if you're young, they're all away, so I can't even have a shot at them. But when you find that person, you, your level of intimacy and experience depends on how emotionally you're attached to that person. But it can also be your stake, how much you've, what's your stake or investment in that relationship. How much you invest in that relationship mean, makes a difference to how much you're going to know them really know them. And when you think about God, knowing God, is that true for you and I? Do you know God? Do you know of him? You read, you do devotions every morning, you read what the Bible says, and it's there, and you believe it, and you know of him, you've heard all the stories, you've heard sermons most of your life, and you might even listen to a few podcasts. But do you really know God? Like that? An intimate experience of him? A deep relationship, really a big stake in that relationship? Intimate, passionate, connected, involved, focused? That your life is focused around him? <clears throat> the word tells us that it's the most important knowledge that we as children of God can have. <clears throat> and there's a ton of scriptures. I thought I'll just grab two. first one is in Jeremiah 20, uh, Jeremiah 9, verse 23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches. These are the three things that the humans chase, aren't they? But let him boast, who, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight. Bible says you can, you can know a lot of stuff and you can invest in a lot of stuff, but boy, know me. And the Bible and John says that it's actually eternal life itself to know God. Where John says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ who you sent. In order to, to experience and know eternal life, we need to know God. So this prayer that Paul prays, 
do we pray this same prayer for ourselves daily? I was thinking, you know, Paul's prayer is just in here and, and it would be easy to read it. But this is the kind of prayer that bears repeating for ourselves and for others every day, isn't it? It's a kind of prayer that, that we could repeat, that we should be praying. I'm sure that Paul didn't just pray it once and think, that's done, let's see what happens. I'm sure that he kept praying it. You know, a prayer like, Lord, give me or, or give such and such the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Show me more of you, of my God, daily. What would happen if we prayed that every morning when we woke up? You know, God, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you more today. You know, I talk to a lot of people and so do you. And you hear of, and I hear of many people that search for direction, a search for truth is a noble search, isn't it? And it's not a bad search. But our primary search, which will actually resolve a lot of those other searches that we have, our primary search must be to know God. So do we read? Do we listen? Do we find ourselves in places like church and life group and, and grow groups and relationships where we'll increase in our knowledge of God? Not of Him, but we'll increase in our knowledge the knowing God. You know, and Paul's prayer isn't empty or futile. It's not a kind of a desperate, hey, this works. It's based on fact because the word says that God is revealing himself to us always and that he can be found. It's not a secret. He doesn't hide himself away somewhere and we get to plot on a map, you know, 10 steps left and X marks the spot. He makes himself available and he can be known. I'm reminded of that clip. Do you remember that black guy, that clip that goes on? He says, my God is this, my God is this. And at the end he says, do you know him? This is my God. And, you know, I was thinking of playing it, but I couldn't find it. So it's greatly important to grow in our knowledge of God. So this is Paul's first prayer point in this section. And it's the first prayer point because it's the prayer the Ephesians to realize or see the next three things that he's asking for, that he's praying for. And these are important because these are things, the next three things, these are the things that, are enabled, that, that will enable the Ephesian church to live as God's children confidently, not scared, not worried, not under attack, not in defeat, not in retreat, but confidently and courageously right where they are in Ephesus. And if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you know what, I, what Ephesus was like. And these three things aren't random. They're key things that we need to know and be convinced of to stand strong in our calling. And Paul prays that God would open the eyes of their heart or enlighten the eyes of their heart. Your very being, your identity, your guts, the, the, of who you are, that you, that the eyes of who you are, that your, your very being can see this sort of stuff, that you have a gut sense. And so knowing God opens the eyes of our heart to know three things. The first thing he pulls is the hope of our calling. Our calling. You know, we have been called, and Paul talks about it in verses 4 and 5, if you hear a couple of weeks ago, where he says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. So our calling, we've been called to be holy and blameless, you and I. Now, I don't feel so holy and blameless a lot of the time. 
Put up your hand if you feel holy and blameless every day. I need you to disciple me. I don't feel so holy and blameless, but Paul says, but I pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would help you to know God, because when you know God, you will know that you actually have been called to be holy and blameless, that you have been made holy and blameless. You've been called by God out of darkness into his kingdom. And it's not just for the future, Ephesians. Don't just sit in the corner and wait for heaven to come. You can live that hope out right now, knowing that our future is secure, that there's no risk that we can live for the You read about that, you, you hear about it. You know, when a parents lose a child or, or something happens, you know, when there's hope, you know, and, and they'll say things like, hope keeps me going. And it does in a human sense. You know, sometimes when you have hope, it, it keeps you going. It keeps you looking forward. However, that's human hope. And sometimes human hope may not work. You know, I, or there'll be traffic. I hope I get the job, but then someone else, you might have been qualified, but someone else might be better. I hope the holiday is great. And then it rains. That wasn't prophetic, by the way, to anyone going on holidays. No, see, the hope that Paul's talking about is from God. And knowing Don Piper said in a sermon on biblical hope, he was doing a sermon on biblical hope, and he said this. I think we got it up there. Yes. Biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. And it not only expects it to happen, it's confident that it will happen. There's a moral certainty that the good we expect and the desire will be done. That's the kind of hope that Paul is talking about. Not, I hope I'll get to heaven. Or I hope when we preach the gospel that we won't get abused or something. Or I hope that, you know, that we can make it as a church in, in Scoresby or in Ephesus or wherever we are. No, our hope is secure. And it's a calling. We've been called to that hope. So our knowledge, our growing knowledge of God helps us to know and experience this kind of hope, the hope that Paul's talking about. Do you have this hope? This hope that has desire and expectation. So you desire it, but you also have an expectation that, hey, it's a done deal. That you've been set apart for God, that you've been adopted. You know, last week we talked about what that meant, adopted. In that time, adoption meant that you were taken into a family and usually only rich families adopted. Instantly, your debts, your family debts, your, 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 your land debts, whatever, were totally wiped. <clears throat> Instantly, you were credited with the wealth of the family that had adopted you. How cool is that? Do you know that hope? That your life is in his hands now and also for the future? And can you live out your life now, here where you are, and, and, just, and the Ephesians where they were, and us here in Scoresby or wherever we find ourselves, can we live out our lives expressing this hope to the world around us, this kind of confidence that God is not only working out this hope in you, but he's also working it out through you into other lives. That's a calling. And does this hope energise you? Does it excite you? Does it give you a sense of, yeah... That is kind of cool. I don't hope like the rest of the world. I don't hope like, eh, might happen. The second thing Paul asks for, that they will know the riches of God's inheritance in the saints, us. 
Interesting little thing here. Have a think about this. And if you don't, I'm going to tell you anyway. Did you notice that he doesn't say the riches of our inheritance? We know that. That's kind of implicit in the first point. And Paul said it in 1.11. We looked at that last time. Um, In him we have obtained an inheritance. But did you notice that he's not praying for our inheritance there? You see, Paul wanted them to know the greatness of God's inheritance in his people. Think about that for a moment. God gets an inheritance from the investment. And inheritance is us. You know, we usually only think of our inheritance in God. But Paul wanted the Ephesians to understand that they are so precious to God that he considers them his inheritance. This is really cool. That you could be God's inheritance. Cool and humbling at the same time. Did you know that you, as one of his saints, are his inheritance? An inheritance that he's guaranteed to get? Yeah, it's funny, you know, knowing ourselves and our failings or our sin or our weaknesses, you, you, could, you could catch yourself wondering, how could God find any inheritance in me? How could I possibly be his inheritance? Yet how great is God that he makes a rich inheritance out of poor men and women because he invests so much in us? That is really interesting, isn't it? He has invested his riches in us. He's invested riches of love. He's invested riches of wisdom. He's invested his riches of suffering. He's invested his riches of glory all into us. He's poured that investment into us. And he did so so that he would enjoy a rich inheritance in the saints. That he would bring us home and we would be his inheritance. He'd be excited to say, it's payoff day. Look at what my inheritance is. It's my children that I love so much. I've invested so much in. That's pretty astounding and humbling. You know, I read that over and over, and I kept reading it like, you know, we we have an inheritance in God. But Paul's saying, no. Guys, do you know how important it is to you to live and know God? Because your possibility there. God is looking forward to his inheritance in and through me. And he knows his investment will pay off. He insured it. The cross was the way that he insured that. How much would that have energised the Ephesians to know that? That they didn't just have a job to do to survive, but that they were busy God's inheritance as well. How much would that have energised them to move forward boldly? How much does it encourage you to know that you and I are a part of God's glorious inheritance? You're not insignificant. You're not unneeded. You're not unimportant in God's great plan of redemption. That plan that's in you but also through you to other people. There's a plan for our Heavenly Father to enjoy His inheritance, you and I. I reckon that's really cool. There's one more thing that Paul prays for. And if the way that he elaborates this point is a clue to how important it is, then more than anything... He wanted them to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us. Now, different versions, you've got immeasurable greatness, you've got incomparable greatness in some 
uh, translations. You've got exceedingly great power in some. You've got incredible greatness, boundless greatness. Basically, again, there's, there's, there's a lack of words to talk about the greatness of this power. Or some translations, in us or for us. There's a little Greek word that's translated different ways there, but it's E-I-S, is. And that Greek word means through or within. So Paul's talking about God's great power, the immeasurable greatness of his power through or and within us. And he goes on to describe that power in probably the strongest way that he could. He doesn't use, he doesn't say, this is the great power God used to put the planets into orbit. That would be pretty powerful, right? No. He doesn't say, this is the power that God used to scatter the stars across the heavens. That's pretty powerful. But no, that's not enough to define God's power. In our day, if he was in our day, he wouldn't use things like more powerful than a nuclear explosion or more power than the sun's energy because scientists have figured out how much power that is. They're also not enough. He goes straight to the resurrection of Jesus. And here's why. Of all the powers that you can find in the world, there is no power like death. Why does an explosion have power at all? Why do we say that explosions are powerful? Because it has some of the power of death. It has the potential to kill us. It can kill. You know, and mankind can harness some of the power of creation. We can get. We can't defeat the power. We will always die. Death is the most, the strongest power. Death is the main power that's against us. The Bible calls it the last enemy. If we could beat that power, the power of death, there would be no other power that would be a match for us. And yet that's exactly what God did in Jesus, the power of death. And that's the measurement that Paul decides to use to describe the power that's in us. The greatest power that ever was. That was only ever defeated by one person, Jesus Christ. And that's how Paul wants us to measure and understand the greatness of the power that's in us. How much power? We have access to that power. It or he indwells us. We have the power in us. And what does that mean? You know, you know, does it mean that there's something churning inside me all the time? That What does it mean? Well, I think there's a few things. First, it's that power for us. That immeasurable great power is exerted for us. That power means that we who are spiritually dead were made spiritually alive. And Paul wants them to know that. Now, that might not be as impressive as being raised from the dead physically. And we'd all love to witness that. How many people would love to see a person raised from the dead by God in front of their eyes? Oh, that'd be really cool. I'm not ashamed to say that. that would be really cool. And God can do it. So, or impressive as raised from the dead. Yet the same power is exerted for us to be uh, made spiritually alive as it would be if we were to made physically alive. Do we know that? That we now live with a guarantee of life everlasting because of this great power that was exerted for us. But there's more. Knowing, and remember Paul, um, Paul's talking about them knowing, having a spirit of wisdom to know, knowing experientially this power also means it works in us. 
This immeasurably great power works in us. That means the things of death in our life. Things that will cause death in our life. Sin, destructive emotions, bad habits, addictions, thought processes, confusions, the brokenness in our life and in the world, hopelessness. All those things are subject to this great power. They all have a potential to cause death. And yet the power that is in us is the same power that God used to raise Jesus, defeated death. Even though the power of death is gradually being broken sometimes, it is still here in our life, isn't it? Sometimes, we, sometimes it's greater and sometimes it's less. We still struggle, don't we? But eventually the power of resurrection will have victory in our lives. That's a promise. That's back to that hope that we have. And we can be confident of this. Spurgeon again talking about this power that, that works in us. It's not just some you know, sort of um, imaginary thing. He says that very same power which raised Christ is waiting to raise the drunkard from his drunkenness, to raise the thief from his dishonesty, to raise the Pharisee from his self-righteousness, to raise the Sadducee from unbelief. So it's very, that, that power might be measurably great and, fan, and fantastic, but it's given us to defeat things that would bring death into our life. Do we know this? You know, sometimes you need help to know this. This is where grow groups or a good Christian friend or a life group is such a good thing. I need to be reminded of this sometimes because I get lost in my own emotions or lost in my own struggles. And I need someone to say, wait, do you know how powerful God is in your life? The power that he's given you. So it works for us, it works in us, but it also works through us to transform hearts and to glorify God. It gives us boldness to go. Um, and whether that's go to the streets uh, for evangelism or go across the street or go next door to your neighbour or go into the world, this power gives us power to go confidently with the gospel. It enables us to testify to God's work, God's work of forgiveness, God's work of redemption that was, that was, that was given to us but is also for others. <clears throat> It enables us to stand against a world that wants to reject God's claim on life, God's claim on morality, God's claim on justice and what's right. That power works through us to stand against those things that would represent death for the kingdom. God used this power to raise his son Jesus as a victor over death. And it was to bring us salvation for sure. But it was also to put the spotlight squarely on him, squarely on God, on his incomparable greatness and power. Jesus' death on a cross was to bring us salvation, but it was to bring glory to God, to glorify him before all creation. This is how great our God is, even the power of death. Jesus' resurrection was a witness to how great God is because even death could not defeat him. So when we exercise that power, that power that God's given us, when we speak life over life and that he's doing that for other people, we bring glory to God. We put the spotlight on God in those moments. And Paul finishes and he says, where did that power place Jesus? Well, Paul says it raised him up to the right hand of God. 
but seated him in the heavenlies. As the head of the church, the head of the body, us, talks about us. And where does it place us then in the Ephesian church? What does it do for us? Well, it says the Bible says that we're raised with Christ. We are the body connected to the head. If Jesus is the head, we're the body connected to the head. He's our source. And it says in takers, sharers of the divine nature. We share in that divine nature. We share in that elevation to the heavenlies. And verse 23 is a really interesting verse. Verse 23, or the end of 22, says, He gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. We are the fullness of God, the full expression of God. The full expression of God comes through us. What a privilege, what a responsibility. God is, possesses all power. But the full expression of his power is in us, is shown through our lives and through our salvation. And is shown through his fullness comes to even greater expression through us, the body of Christ, through the church. And you think, well, how can I do that? How can I be an expression of the fullness of God? How can I make sure that the fullness of God is even more greatly expressed? Well, it is that power. That's why God gave us the power. That's why that power is resident in us. Jesus said, I'm going to send the Spirit. He's going to indwell you. He's going to live in you. We have that power. And either Paul's just making up fancy analogies or it's true that that power is the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead. That lives in you and I. We are filled with the fullness of God. In chapter 3, we're going to talk about that more where Paul talks about being filled with the fullness of God. But we also know that we will always have access to that power and to be filled. And when Paul finishes this and finishes chapter, and they probably didn't have chapters, it was just a letter to them. For the Ephesians, knowing this, not just knowing about it in the first part of the letter, but knowing this must have given them confidence in their mission. Despite the challenges in their context, and they had many challenges, they got every spiritual blessing. And this must have injected hope into them. What does it do for us? What does it do for our lives? What does it do for your life, for your calling? For your role in the world, your world, our world? Because Paul prays it. We can pray it daily. Like I said before, we can pray this every day. God, Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you more. And that will open the door so that I will know the hope and I can, that's dependable, that I, that I don't have to fear, that I can know that, that I am being made into an inheritance. You're looking forward to me being your inheritance. And you filled me with power to do this, to live this. We can pray that every day. Like Paul prays it for the Ephesians. Grow to know God more. Ask that the eyes of our inner being will be open to see the wonderful and certain hope we've been called to, a glorious inheritance and that amazing power that we've been given to live out now, revealing and glorifying God to a world that desperately needs to know him. That must have been so encouraging for them and it needs to be, it should be, it must be an encouragement for us. We've been given every spiritual blessing. We've been adopted as sons and all those sorts of things. Not to sit in the corner. 
but to go out in hope, to become his inheritance and bring other people, make, cause others to be his inheritance and to live out the power that he's given us. I told you Ephesians was encouraging. That's my God. Do you know him? Let's pray. God, we want to pray. We want to give thanks to you. We want to pray, Lord, that you, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father of glory, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. That you would open the eyes of our hearts, our being, our identity, to see just what it is that you've done for us. To, to not know of it and to point to it and say, that's what we have. It's on the shelf there. But to really know it, to experience it, to live it, to walk in it. Lord, we thank you for reminding us this morning that we can pray that prayer every day. And that you're the greatest gift giver. You're a good, good father and you want us to grow. And you look forward to the day that, that you will celebrate with us in glory. That we will receive our inheritance and so will you. As your church, Lord, allow us to be an expression of your fullness in an ever-increasing measure. The places we find ourselves and in, our world, in the world around us. Lord, encourage us to know what that means for us individually and to be earnestly and keenly desiring to live like that. In Jesus' name, amen.